I think when we're talking specifically Fat Fire, you're going to see a higher percentage of people who do own their own businesses. That is certainly one path to becoming wealthy that, you know, especially if we're talking multiple millions, eight figures even, uh, that's usually from building your own business and, uh, and then selling it or having a very successful business with lots of annual cash flow. What's going on, guys? This is the Passive Wealth Strategies podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Today, our guest is Leif Deline, the physician on fire. He does a lot of great work talking about the financial independence movement, specifically for doctors, but that's not exactly what we're talking about today. Today, we're talking about a different concept of fire, financial independence that you might not have heard of. If, you're, if you've learned about fire and you thought, man, I don't want to be one of those guys that cuts every corner to the bone and scrimps and saves and pinches their pennies and then retires driving a crappy car and living in a little shoebox because they just wanted to retire. This is the interview for you. This is a different concept, fire, fat fire. There aren't a lot of people out there talking about it. Leaf is one of the ones out there fighting the good fight. And this is, uh, I think, a very good option for higher income professionals that don't want to completely cut their expenses to the bone, but still look forward to or dream of financial independence. So that's what we're talking about today with Leif Deline, the physician on fire. For those of you who are new to the show, I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor, real estate syndicator. I buy real estate with passive investors and split the return. I think this topic of fire and fat fire specifically is so important and it should be bigger. And that's what I wanted to bring to you today with the Physician on Fire. And that's what we're bringing. So without any further ado, here we go. Leave, thank you for joining us today. Glad to be here, man. Thank you for the invite. Thrilled to talk with you. Great brand. You're putting out fantastic information out there and, and I've achieved a lot. Uh, but for those out there who don't know about you, don't know what you do, can you tell us a bit about your background and uh, what you do? Sure. How much time you got? Um, <laughs> yeah, I know. So my name is Leaf. I was an anesthesiologist for uh, uh, 13 years or so plus residency. And about nine or 10 years into my career, I realized that uh, there's this thing called financial independence. I read about it. I did the math and figured out that, holy crap, we can retire pretty much anytime we want. And I wasn't, and when I say we, I'm talking about my wife and I, but I was the one uh, with a job and she mainly stayed at home and, and raised our kids. Um, so I was like 39 and planning to work at least into my 50s, if not longer. And uh, once I knew that that was optional, at least financially, that really changed my outlook on what I wanted the next 10 to 20 years to look like. And so we kind of came up with a five-year plan, my wife and I, to exit the workforce and uh, go on some amazing adventures with our kids who at the time were like uh, preschool, kindergarten age, now are just about through elementary school, getting to junior high age where they're really quite independent and uh, free spirits. And, you know, we did embark on, on some pretty exciting travels. That's obviously changed now with COVID and, and, and majorly changed our travel plans. But long story short, um, about a year after I figured out that we were indeed financially independent based on our retirement savings, I started a blog called Physician on Fire to 
uh, let other people, uh, kind of colleagues, friends of mine, know about this concept and how you can achieve it for yourself. And so I've been blogging now for the better part of five years at physicianonfire.com. That's great. And you're helping a lot of people with that. And, you know, one of the things I've observed, I follow you on Instagram, been on your website for, for a good while. And I noticed that you're one of the few people talking about this concept of fat fire. And it's, it's, it's important that we get into uh, what all of yeah. these concepts mean. You know, people know about fire, but, you know, tell us about fat fire. Sure. So, you know, fire is just the financial independence, retire early, usually at least portrayed and often practiced uh, as a, with a, an emphasis on frugality and very high savings rate and very low spending rate. And lean fire, I think, came about before fat fire. And lean is just living very lean, uh, maybe on, you know, ten to twenty thousand dollars a year as opposed to maybe forty or fifty, which might be kind of a standard semi-frugal fire budget. Um, fat fire is the opposite of lean. It is, you know, living, I would say, uh, well above uh, what maybe the average American household might live at. Um, and I think people can kind of define what that means and looks like for them. But to me, it means having, you know, for, for my family, you know, $2 million plus in retirement savings that equates to at least an $80,000 or higher budget uh, in retirement if you're using the 4% withdrawal rate. And so, yeah, it, it can be, it can be luxury. It can be maybe, maybe it looks more like a kind of an upper middle class uh, kind of lifestyle as opposed to a middle or uh, low middle income kind of a, a way of life. I think it's a, it's a important concept because I think most people, when they think about the fire movement, probably have more of an awareness of what you would just have called uh, lean fire, where folks trim their expenses to the bone, save as much as they can when they, then when they go to retire, continue to live on very minimal expenses. People see that and they say, I don't want to live that way. I'm just, so I'm not going to mess with the fire movement at all. Exactly, Taylor. And, and that's the thing that I try to really point out to people that it, it doesn't have to be like, oh, you don't have to be stuck driving a crappy car. You can if you want to, but you don't have to. Um, you don't have to eat rice and beans. Uh, you don't have to, uh, you know, forego some of the things that uh, especially physicians and the people that I speak to uh, just assume are going to be a part of their lives uh, now and forever. So the math is not much different. It's just larger numbers, right? So we tend to have higher incomes. We should be able to save a higher per, not higher percentage, but a higher actual amount of money per year. And if you want to work, you know, with a three to 4% withdrawal rate, let's say you want to spend $200,000 a year. Okay, I mean, you can do that, right? But you might need to save up $5 million plus in order to do that. That's going to take some time and it's going to take some sacrifices in a way. Like, but as long as you save a substantial portion of your income and you have a lot of income, you know, there are a lot of two physician couples that are reading my blog. They might each make two, three, four hundred thousand dollars a year. Now you're at, let's say, seven hundred thousand a year, pay taxes down to maybe four fifty, save half of that, you're saving two hundred plus per year, right? You can get to multiple millions over a say 20, 25 year career pretty easily with just routine, simple index fund investing. You know, I think it's 
super important because I, people tend to throw the baby out with the bathwater. But you know, you know, few things that you've brought up in terms of your target expenses per year. You know, you mentioned two hundred thousand, eighty thousand, and again, I think this is another concept that seems unique to the fat fire portion of the fire movement in in determining what that number uh, should be. So. Talk about that a little bit and say, where does that number come from? Yeah, well, obviously the size of your family is is going to determine how much you spend, uh, at least at, during the years your kids are home. And even to some extent afterwards, you've got college to worry about getting your kids launched. Maybe you're going to pay for weddings and, and things like that. Uh, but really, for us, it was tracking our spending. You know, we didn't have a budget. We spent intentionally and I think compared to most of my physician friends and you know i'd say we were definitely frugal in, in relative terms compared to them however compared to the average household we spent more than most people right we take international vacations and i mean you know live in nice homes that sort of thing <laughs> we did have crappy cars for the most part <laughs> uh, although i did uh, treat myself to a uh, late model Nissan Armada so we can tow a travel trailer around, which we now have in the parking uh, in the uh, driveway right now. But yeah, so the math is is really, again, like take how much you spend in a year. Let's say it's a hundred grand and you want to have a relatively safe withdrawal rate in the say three and a half to 4% range. You need 25 to 30 times that 100 thousand dollars so now you're at 2.5 to 3 million now that's just one formula uh that i keep coming back to i know that you speak a lot to real estate and passive income there are ways to get to your annual budget you know with with those uh, vehicles as well or some combination thereof maybe you have uh one million dollars uh, invested in stocks and bonds and that'll give you the only 20 you can say um you know forty thousand dollars a year you cover the other 60 with uh, income from your real estate investments, syndications, whatever it may be. So there, there definitely there is a lot to unpack here in terms of yeah. asset allocation, things like that. Um, but before folks get to the point where, say, you, you retire, there are obvious things that most of us have that we might want to think about getting rid of or paying off, like a mortgage or you're mentioning physicians have tend to have a lot of uh, student debt. and. Yep theoretically, if you had enough passive income, but hadn't say paid off your mortgage or paid off a relatively small balance of student debt, you could say, all right, my income's going to cover that. So should I, can I just go and retire? What are your thoughts about covering or getting rid of some of those debt type expenses? Yeah, it's real personal. And, and going back to the where you live is really important too, right? Obviously cost of living is a lot different where I am now in Northern Michigan or where we were in Northern Minnesota as compared to, you know, living uh, on the coast, you know, in New York or California or any number of other higher cost of living places. Um, as far as carrying debt into retirement, it's, it's kind of about mindset. You know, some people really just abhor debt, just want nothing to do with it. And, they want their expenses to be as low as possible. So if you can eliminate the mortgage payment, eliminate those student loan payments, then uh, mathematically it looks like, okay, well, retirement is going to cost me less. On the other hand, if you're more of a cash flow based thinker and investor, then you can just look at, well, my expenses are an extra 
let's say 4,000 a month because we have the mortgage and maybe even a little bit of student loan debt. Hopefully you've gotten rid of that by, by the time <laughs> you're thinking retirement, but Hey, with, you know, balances up, up to a million dollars, you know, it can be, it can be tough to do. So, uh, but yeah, if, if you're looking more like on the, on the cash flow side, okay, you just need that much more cash flow each month to cover those. And I don't think that's a, a like a hard stop if you're wanting to retire early just because you do have some debt. And especially, again, coming from your angle of real estate investing, you're almost certainly going to have some debt. And maybe it's only on investment properties, maybe not on your own property, your own home that you're living in primarily. But yeah, um, those are personal decisions. You know, Dave Ramsey says, cut up your credit cards. Um, you know, other people say, leverage your life to uh, live it to the fullest. <laughs> so I, I'm somewhere in between, probably closer to the, uh, get rid of debt side, but that's just because I just don't like making those payments. Hey, that's fair. I think it makes a lot of sense. And, you know, I, I think, I, again, something that I only learned after I kind of got into this world a little bit is how much risk mitigation is a factor here, particularly, you know, any kind of debt is risk, even if it's long-term fixed, say you hit a bump, you can't make that payment up. Well, there's some risk. And when you're mm -hmm. looking at retiring, your goal is really to mitigate risk. You have the assets, you have some amount of passive income. So how can I get rid of some of those risks like a uh, student debt or mortgage debt on your home, things like that mm -hmm. and how critical that is. Yep. No, I agree. So to kind of turn it back to asset allocations, you mentioned a few things. And I, I suspect the, the answer might be it's personal, but I don't know. Um, <laughs> with regards to you know where folks kind of in this movement, I'm not even saying, saying a, a value judgment, but where do folks tend to fall in terms of they have stock investments, real estate, or you know, private placements, or maybe they're only in businesses. I don't know. What, what's the breakdown here in the fat fire movement? I think when we're talking specifically fat fire, you're going to see a higher percentage of people who do own their own businesses. That is certainly one path to becoming wealthy that, uh, you know, especially if we're talking multiple millions, eight figures even, uh, that's usually from building your own business and, uh, and then selling it or having a very successful business with lots of annual cash flow. And so I think it definitely skews a little heavier towards that, you know, like doctors can become wealthy, kind of the slow and steady route, right? Set aside a hundred thousand a year, maybe 200,000 a year, a little more, but you're not seeing many doctors earning a million, let alone saving a million plus per year. Whereas a business owner can do that. And regarding investing, I, I still think index funds and, and kind of keeping it simple is, is popular and, real estate investing. Again, there are people that are all about it and people that dabble in it, which is kind of what I do uh, with, you know, the crowd funders and, and syndications and, uh, and a fund or two that I've invested in. But I didn't do that until honestly, after I was already financial independent. Interesting. Okay. So, you know, we, as you mentioned, we do talk about real estate a lot here and I do real estate investing myself. Um, for someone in your position, you mentioned crowdfunding and syndications that you invest in. What are some features that you look for? Because I imagine someone who already is retired or financially independent has different goals with their real estate investments than maybe somebody who's early in their career, maybe you know early 30s, looking to invest in real estate. So what do you target? 
Sure. Well, tax efficiency is one thing that I'm always looking at. And, uh, and I'm only very recently retired from medicine. It was a year ago. And I still haven't come from the blog. And so I'm still very sensitive to, you know, how I'm being taxed. So I look at that. I'm not looking to take huge risks, right? Well, that's true and it's not true. You know, once you're well beyond financially independent, let's say two times, you know, maybe what your target goal was, then you can take big risks if you want to. (laughs) And I I guess I've done some of that, not so much with real estate, but, you know, angel investing and that sort of thing. That's a whole nother topic. But (laughs) yeah. Yes and no, but no, not for me. <laughs> um, right. So, um, you know, the most recent real estate fund that I went into, it's, it's, you know, designed to be very tax efficient. You know, they return some principal and, and, and you know, use depreciation to offset some of what they're giving back to you. Um, and they're targeting like 9 to 11%. So, they're really looking to more or less match the long-term stock market returns but maybe in a more tax efficient way. And I like that. I don't think it's uh, all that risky. I think it, and they're, they're targeting a return of 6% per year of your investment. So that's, that's some, you know, quote income that uh, I can expect. I can't say rely on, but I think I can expect from the investment. And that is kind of appealing, even though I'm, I'm more of a total return guy than a cash flow dividend seeker. Interesting. Okay. I always like to cover that because like I said, I, you know, it, it's become apparent to me that folks generally target different uh, risk profiles, different types of return. Um, it's interesting that you're still, because you've got, got the blog going on and you, you, you say you've still got income from the blog. I expect that'll continue for a very long time because you're, you're certainly one of the leaders. So, you know, until you decide to quit is probably <laughs> what's yeah. going to be the deterring factor. Yeah. Yeah. One thing I do to help with the uh, whole tax efficiency picture is that I'm donating half of the money that I uh, make from the blog. And so, you know, that basically half of that, that profit, uh, I don't pay any taxes on because I don't keep it. Right. Nice. So that helps. (laughs) What cause or type of causes do you support? Yeah. So it's a wide variety, but one really cool thing that we've done is support uh, the salary of a physician in Honduras and it's someone that we've worked with before. Uh, when I was a practicing anesthesiologist, I was able to take my family down to this uh, free clinic slash surgery center that is uh, there kind of in the mountains in, in rural Honduras. And they take care of people from all over the country. And, you know, physicians there obviously don't make as much money as they do here in the States, but we're able to, uh, you know, with blog income, pay the full-time salary of, of one of those doctors that I've worked with uh, a couple of times. We've gone for two different one-week brigades and my kids were young but still able to help out around the ranch. It's actually on the site of a uh, children's orphanage. Isn't quite the right word. It's a children's home. They don't uh, adopt kids out, but it's disadvantaged kids that don't have a good, safe uh, home to grow up in. Wow. They come to this, uh, this ranch and they, they've raised several hundred kids and the, uh, the actually the medical director of the uh, surgical center is a boy now man now orthopedic surgeon who grew up there which is super wow. cool that's yeah. incredible yeah great yeah, so that's support. one thing but you know we support the local food shelf um, some of the money quite a bit of the money goes to our donor advised fund which is a an account that is no longer ours, but we still control where the money goes from it. Um, it's sort of like a mini foundation, essentially. Um, and so that's kind of like a, 
a uh, story storing um, not sure the best word but a, a temporary place for that money that can be invested and then given out over time hmm. interesting cool yeah. I love that doing yeah. great things in the world trying to <laughs> that's great well right now we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor all right leave I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show are you ready I was born ready all right I love that First question, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? I'll go with an $1,800 diamond ring that I <laughs> bought when I was still receiving my education as a resident in anesthesia. And I gave it to my girlfriend who became my fiance. And she has been a, a wonderful wife and now mother to our two children. And uh, you know, I mentioned earlier that she hasn't worked a lot outside the home. Um, so from that aspect, you know, maybe hasn't helped a ton on the income side, but we totally see eye to eye on, you know, all things spending, how we use our money, how we value money and kind of the vision for what we want our lives to look like, you know, from this point forward. Wow. That's great. I love that. Fantastic. On the other side of that, we had the best investment. Now we go to the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? I was thinking it could be the first big house that we lived in, actually built. But you shouldn't think of your primary home as an investment, right? I think that's it's true. Really not. Uh, but if you did, we lost about a quarter million on that. Wow. Uh, by the time the <laughs> yeah, hospital in town went bankrupt and there was no one else to buy a nice, big, beautiful home. Um, and we couldn't live there anymore. So that didn't work out so well. Uh, but since that not, is not an investment, I'll go with the uh, rare occasion I took to purchase individual stocks, which I don't normally do. But we had some big time cruises planned for this upcoming fall and spring, like cruising to China for 30 days, oh, no. coming back from Japan in the spring. And if you are a shareholder in the cruise line, you get some perks like onboard credit and other things. So I'm like, well, if I, I'll buy a hundred shares. And I, I was watching Royal Caribbean last year. It was like 120, 130. And then it dropped to like 101 in October. And I set uh, a limit order to buy at a hundred. Well, but then it went up, up, up from there. So it never dropped below that 101. And then COVID-19 came <laughs> and my limit order hit at 98. Oh, man. And then it dropped to like 37 or, or lower. I don't really know. Um, I had something similar set up with uh, Carnival. And so, yeah, I bought some cruise lines very high. I bought some more when they were low because I'm like a gambler. Well, I'm down now. I got to fight back, strap back. Um, I just checked and, and I, I think I've broken even now. I own all three mm. major uh, cruise line stocks and I'm, I'm actually just above breaking even on them. But um, buying at the beginning of COVID. Yeah, that's why I shouldn't dabble in individuals. <laughs> Ouch. Well, you couldn't have seen it coming either way, but uh, what you going to do? You yeah. Know, sounds pretty painful. Yeah, but it's, it's play money, basically. Not, not uh, going to really hurt us in the long run. But I will get some free cocktails the next time I take a cruise, <laughs> whenever that may be. I don't know. Wow. My favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson that you've learned in business and investing? Yeah, I'd say the uh, last story segues very nicely into my answer, which would be uh, there's beauty in simplicity. 
I think you can keep your investment plan very simple and be successful. You know, pretty much all of our success came from buying mutual funds and leaving them alone. You know, you don't have to do a whole lot more than that. And, uh, and there's beauty in that because you can spend a ton of time learning and trying different things and talking to different people and reading books and you can read a book or two and not think about it. (laughs) It's really that it can be that simple. And I think that is beautiful. Nice. Nice. That's great. Well, Lee, thank you for joining us today and, and telling us about the, the Fat Fire movement and your experience, your charitable work, and your best and worst investments, most important lesson you've learned. If folks want to learn more, if they want to get in touch, find the blog, anything like that, where can they find you? So I have the website physicianonfire.com. You can get there by typing in pofire.com. I'm active on Twitter at Physician on Fire, and I have a Fat Fire Facebook group um, that's, I don't know, 12 or 13,000 people strong now. Lots of uh, interesting conversations going on there daily. So check that out if you are on Facebook, which I know you are not, Taylor, but uh, a lot of people are. <laughs> I still have a, a membership or whatever. I don't think I'll ever be able to get rid of it, but I'm happy to say that I've broken the spill broken the addiction and uh you know it's not easy to do it's not easy to do and you know what i don't feel like i'm missing much maybe i'm wrong but i doubt it i don't know except your facebook group of course which i was a member am a member of (laughs) but you know that's actually one of the one of the rare gems but (laughs) you know thank you well thanks again and uh really appreciate it i love the work you're doing and, and doing a great job out there To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying this show, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Very much appreciated. It helps other people learn about the show. If you know anyone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and bring them into the tribe. Thanks for tuning in once again. Have a great rest of your day and a great week. We'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.